I'm going to ask the obvious question <clears throat> from reading Ephesians 6 and verses 10 on, and following the passage where we're at is, what would it be like to wrestle a demon? Now, you know, if you watch TV shows, horror flicks, and this and that, you think right away, woo, you know, I wouldn't even try. But you and I, if we're believers, we wrestle demons every day. Not just, you know, that people say he's dealing with his demons or something like that. Um, the Bible is really clear about this is a world that's been invaded by demonic powers. That's what we see in Ephesians 6, verses 10, 11, and 12. So he says, uh, finally be strong, brothers and sisters, uh, in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we looked at that, verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against these supernatural powers, ranks of demons. Just as in the military, you have sergeants, you have lieutenants and captains and majors and colonels and generals, etc., and you've got you know, different stars for the different ranks of generals. It seems as though the Bible is teaching us that there are ranks and hierarchies in and among the, the realm of demonic entities that uh, have rebelled against God, Satan as their head, and are thrown to earth because of Christ's finished work, and we are, we are battling them. That's what we wrestle. So I want to go a little further than what we talked about last week, and um, many people around us in the United States of America and in the Western world find what we're learning about here in Ephesians 6 to be too fantastic to be believable. People will say no modern, intelligent, educated man or woman can believe this anymore. We're modern. This is pre-scientific, a pre-scientific age. We're post-science. We, we know that, you know, this is not to be believed. So some of you probably run into that. Things like, you really believe in talking serpents? Do you really believe in a talking donkey? There's, there's a lot of that kind of opposition to the gospel to when we try to tell people about the Lord, about the Bible, and oh yeah, I, I can't believe that. It's just not believable anymore to those of us who are modern. So I'm going to ask you a question and um, maybe this would be a good thing for all of us believers when we encounter this kind of resistance, these kinds of objections. How do you account for the history of mankind being largely an account of strife and wars where so many human beings are killed by their fellow human beings? How do you account for that kind of evil all throughout the history of human, humankind? That most people die at the hands of other human beings. That people that are human beings kill other human beings. And for some of the reasons that are just terrible reasons for deciding to kill somebody. And here's a more pointed question. Because in the 19th and 20th and now 21st centuries, there's 
grown up this prideful idea that modern man knows better than the Bible, that modern man knows better than the apostles or the prophets what's possible and what's not possible, that modern man has come of age. We know what it means to be human. We know how people ought to live. We know that uh, the world, uh, how the world should be. So let me ask you a more pointed question. How is it that more human beings have killed each other in the modern 20th century than perhaps all other centuries combined? You answer me that. If you don't think there's a devil and demons, and if you don't think that human beings are born in sin, how do you account for this grim, horrific reality? Ever since at least the 20th century, I think maybe the 19th, it would be there as well, we consider ourselves modern men and women. We don't believe in myth and superstition any longer. We believe in peace and love and brotherhood. We have the United Nations to bring peace to the world. We believe in freedom and tolerance as the right way to treat each other. These are the modern moral absolutes. And again, I ask you, why is it that that's, that very century is the bloodiest century in the history of the world? Add to that this, after thousands and thousands of years of human history, bitter experience with wars, disease, crime, and strife, how is it that we moderns have killed each other at a far higher rate than ever before? I wonder what this new century is going to turn out to be like. Now let me give you some proof of what I'm saying. First, in the 20th century, there were two world wars, right? World War I and World War II. World War I, you might not know this, the World War I was the war to end all wars. Did you know that? Let's take a look. 15 to 19 million people killed in World War I. That's not mentioning the wounded. Seven million or so civilians killed in that war. Ten million military personnel killed in that war. Millions. There are countries that don't have that many people in them. Well, the war to end all wars was followed by World War II, and I call it war without end because that's the history of humankind. You know right now there's a couple of wars going on on the planet, at least. Some people have studied human history and found that there's only a few years out of all the thousands of human history where there was no war being fought somewhere. But what about World War II? The estimated total of 70 to 85 million people killed. About, is that showing up up there? Yeah, about 3% of the world population in 1940 was killed in that war. 21 to 25 million military personnel, 29 to 30 and a half million civilians killed in that war, and 18 or 19 to 28 million war-related civilian deaths. The 20th century, this was what modern man did to modern man. And you say there's no devil, and you say there are no demons, and you say there's no sin? I think you have a tough time explaining that. 
even if you believe in the theory of evolution, which is survival of the fittest, right? And evolution proceeds by means of death. This species dies because another species evolves a superior ability and they gobble up and devour the next one and they become the new kings of the earth. It's a theory of evolution by death, progress by death. And I remember when I was a kid and believed in evolution, I thought, well, the bad things people do to each other is because we're evolved from animals and you know how animals behave. So sometimes we act like animals and that explains human evil. But I'm telling you, I don't think the animals treat each other quite like we treat each other. Well, let me give you a couple of quotations here because I want to talk about something that's even worse than these wars. Can anything be worse than that? Well, listen. Most of the people killed in the 20th century were killed by their fellow human beings in order to make a new human being, in order to improve the human race, in order to make everyone equal, in order to eliminate the rich and poor classes of people so that there's only one class of people and thereby to also eradicate poverty. Most people in the 20th century were killed by people who wanted to create a utopia on earth. These ideas were based on the writings of a German, I'm sad to say, having come from a German mother, by the name of Karl Marx. And his theory, economic theory, is called socialism or communism. He was an atheist committed to modern science and an ardent proponent of evolution. He believed that his theory of economics or Marxism was the inevitable result of scientific evolution and would produce a new man to bring about utopia on earth. And those who took this man's theory and started to work it in their politics, they knew what they were doing. For example, one of Marx's followers was a man named Leon Trotsky. I want you to see this with your own eyes. He said, we shall not enter into the kingdom of socialism in white gloves on a polished floor. Instead, the gloves will be bloody gloves and the floor will be full of carcasses of people that get in our way and don't like what we say and we have to get rid of them. They knew what they were doing. They knew what was coming. Lenin, Stalin, Trotsky, Mao, Pol Pot. Mao Zedong urged the socialist camp not to fear nuclear war with the United States since even if half of mankind died, the other half would remain while imperialism, that's what they call those who aren't communists, while imperialism would be raised to the ground and the whole world would become socialist. He was willing that half of the population of the earth be destroyed for the sake of his ideology. What do you think about that? Now, you say, Pastor Steve, you're preaching this because of what the political scene in America today. No. I'm preaching Ephesians 6, verse 12. I didn't plan for Ephesians 6, verse 12, for us to get to Ephesians 6, verse 12 in February of 2019 when all this stuff is going on out there in the political world. Maybe it's by God's design, but it's not by my design. I just know for many, many years I have been outraged by these statistics and heartbroken by these statistics and saying to myself, why doesn't the world see they need Jesus? 
Why do they think the Bible is hokum and myth and fables and superstition? It is the only complete and thorough explanation of the things that are in our world. There's nothing else like it that gives this adequate explanation, as heartbreaking as it might be to us as we look at this. So they knew what they were doing. Let me tell you what their body count turns out to be. USSR. What's that say? 20 million killed for an idea. For this is how you should live, and if you don't like it, we kill you. And that's not even mentioning how many million were put in camps. China. What's that say? 65 million. Vietnam, 1 million. Much smaller population. Same with North Korea, 2 million. And they starve their people to death regularly there. <clears throat> Cambodia, 2 million. Almost a third of their population or more. Eastern Europe, 1 million. Latin America, 150,000 right here in our hemisphere. Africa, of all places. You thought, well, they didn't get over there, did they? No. 1.7 million. Afghanistan, one nation, one and a half million. This figure approaches altogether a hundred million from all over the world. There's no devil. There are no demons who hate us and want to destroy us. There's no sin. Brothers and sisters, open your eyes. Secularists, open your eyes. Humanists, atheists, open your eyes. Look and see. Do you really think that this was simply done by human beings that couldn't get along with each other? People killed their fellow human beings, their fellow countrymen, born and raised in the same town, the same city, the same village, and they killed each other. Because you didn't agree with that, you didn't believe that, you got to go. Because they disagreed with each other's politics. How do you account for this murder and mayhem? I think this is beyond mere human evil. I really do. And we're not ignorant of Satan's malevolent intentions toward humans. So think about this. We won't turn there for the sake of time. But Job chapter 1, the sons of God, which includes Satan, come before God Almighty. And God says, what do you think of my servant Job? Don't you admire him? He's the best man on earth right now. Remember what Satan said. He'll do anything for money. God says, okay, let's see how faithful my servant will be. And he lost everything, right? That's Satan's evil. That's what he wants to do to everybody. So Job doesn't curse God and, and he stays faithful to God, right? So... Sons of God appear before him again. And he says, now what do you think of my servant? Don't you admire him? He's faithful. A man will do anything for his health. Remember that saying people will say, if you have your health, you got everything? Okay. And then he lost his health because Satan hated Job as much as he hates God. And that's what Satan and the demons do. They afflict people. How many times do you see a demon-possessed person in the Gospels? They can't talk. They throw themselves into the fire. They try to drown themselves. It's hatred. It's malevolence. 
It's malignity. And it's worse than any cancer, any malignancy that affects your body. So this is nothing other than what the Bible says in Genesis 3.15, what I call the war between the seeds. Remember where this is, Genesis? It's in the first book of the Bible. It's the third chapter of the Bible. Look what that says. I will put enmity, that's hostility or war, between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed, Satan, and her seed, his descendants and her descendants. He, Satan, shall bruise your head. Uh, He, the woman's seed, I'm sorry, shall bruise your head, Satan, and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. There it is. The whole history of the world right there in one verse. Because the woman, you can extrapolate that out when you read the Bible, that the woman also represents the church. Israel was, was the Lord's wife. The church is the Lord's bride. And so she can stand for the church. And then those who are Satan's seed are those who don't believe. They want to get rid of Christianity. They want to get rid of the truth. They want to get rid of the word of God. And so there's been this ongoing conflict, enmity, hostility. And in a, a lot more Christians were killed in the 20th century, by the way, than all Christians that have been killed all the previous 1900 years. You think something's going on there? Satan, demons, truth versus lies, deception. So this is beyond mere human evil. There's something going on in the world. There's a horrifying conflict going on, and you and I are in the middle of it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against hordes of demons. Now, in the end, Jesus Christ will win. Amen? And I want you to see something. He's already pulled off some remarkable victories. Do you remember when the Berlin Wall came down? And East Germany became free, and now they're back together. There's one Germany. Remember East Germany, what the Russians took over? West Germany, what the Allies held? And then they they settled it right there. And then East Berlin, they put a big wall up because people were trying to get in. No, people were trying to get out. Now, when I first became a Christian, there were two things that people regularly prayed about. One was... Thank you, Lord, that we are free to gather like this to worship and to pray and to be believers and to speak our minds and not be afraid of political intimidation. And I thought to myself, I never thought of that before until I was born again and started going to prayer meetings. And I thought, yeah, I never thought of that before, especially because at that time when I was in my 20s, the USSR existed and read China and so on and so forth. It was a very alive, active movement, international communism. And then they also prayed, Lord, set our brothers and sisters free in those nations. Protect them from the persecution and the oppression there. And they would pray that 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 atheistic political and economic ideology would, would fall and be broken. And lo and behold, one day the Berlin Wall was was broken down. I I saw pictures of of people on the Berlin Wall with sledgehammers smashing it down. And then I saw another picture, and people were dancing on top of the wall that was coming down. Do you know what they were singing? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I thought, 
We sing that at our church. God was answering our prayers and bringing that wall down. And then remember what happened to the USSR? Don't hear about that anymore. Because it collapsed, and along with it, the Iron Curtain collapsed. Because God's people were praying, and God's people were crying out. And not just for God's people in those places to um, be free of their oppression and persecution, but that they would be strong and be witnesses at that time and not give in to the fear and the intimidation. <clears throat> One more for you. When Mao Zedong came to power in Red China, uh, he expelled the missionaries, and wherever they could find Chinese Christians, they, they killed them, they would tear their buildings down, raise them to the ground, and China became a closed nation. We did not know what was going on in that nation. And believers despaired. Christianity has probably been wiped out and annihilated in China because they're such a closed country. They, they have such a lock on their borders and they have such a lock on their people's hearts and minds. And if you say anything about God, they either kill you or they put you in a camp. Well, through some political changes under a, a former president here, China started to open up to the West and they discovered that there were millions and millions of believers in China. The, the faith had not died. It had not been annihilated. It was growing by leaps and bounds, and it is still growing by leaps and bounds this very day. As a matter of fact, the nation on earth with the greatest Christian population is Red China. Does God answer prayers? We wrestle and we win when we do it God's way. And I think this is glorious. I think this is something that should encourage us to be men and women of prayer. And one of the ways we do wrestle and win is through prayer. Take a look. Ephesians 6, 18. Now, we're at verse 12. We looked at 10, 11, and 12. I just want to give you a little heads up. Verse 18, Paul says... Put on the whole armor of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, staying awake, alert, with all perseverance. Keep praying and supplication. Pray and ask for everything you need for all the saints. And for me, Paul says, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Look where Paul is when he asks this prayer. For which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul's in prison when he writes this and he asks for prayer. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So, Jesus Christ will win. But not just some far off future date which will be the final battle and the final victory, but he wins victories in between now because the gospel must be preached in all nations and believed on in all nations and then the end will come. So take a look at this. King Jesus wins, and King Jesus is God's eternal purpose. Now look at this. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace, that would be the grace to preach the gospel, Paul's saying, was given to me, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the, of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. 
So what he's saying is that what the Old Testament saints didn't see fully, didn't comprehend, uh, it was sort of hidden there, now has become known through Jesus Christ's coming, the gospel. And then he says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, that's us, to whom? To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. As we live the gospel, as we preach the gospel, as we pray, as we shine our light, as we seek other people's salvation, we are wrestling against those principalities and powers. We're doing battle, that's spiritual warfare, and we're going to win. And he says, according to the eternal purpose singular, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a sense in which the purpose of God is already accomplished. It's already a done deal because Jesus Christ is where right now? Seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And read again Revelation 12 when you get a chance. Now here's the Old Testament perspective. God is saying to his people because uh, things are going to go very, very wrong and they're going to want to despair and God is getting them ready for that time. He says, remember the former things of old for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done saying my counsel, my plan, my purpose shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east the man who executes my counsel from a far country. And what he's saying here is he's going to raise up, when Israel is captive in Babylon, God's going to raise up a man named Cyrus from Persia, and he's going to set his people free and send them back to Israel. And God says, I've, I've got this already worked out. I know what's going to happen because I planned it, and you can't overturn my plans. And then he says, I also will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. And the final fulfillment of that was when Jesus Christ came, the King of kings, the King of angels, the Lord of lords. So ultimately, you see that God is in control. So how are we going to wrestle? Well, there's going to be some different ways we're going to learn in Ephesians 6. But one of the ways is through prayer. One of the main ways, as I've said. So how does the Lord's prayer end again? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What does Ephesians 6.10 say? Be strong in the Lord, brethren, and in the power of his might. You don't have the strength. I don't have the strength. But the Lord does. He's King Jesus. He's on the throne. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places? Yes, we do. Discipleship is warfare. If you're a simple disciple of Jesus Christ, you're involved in the war. Every believer is on the front lines. Just as we've read, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against demonic powers and entities in the invisible supernatural realms that impact us. Remember what Jesus said? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it's a call to war, but it's also a call to victory. It's a call to prayer. It's a call to put on the whole armor of God. What would it be like to wrestle a demon? He would lose. 
he would lose by the grace and power of God in people like us. <laughs> Isn't that glorious? The victory is his and belongs to us as well. So let's go out there and fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, grant us to hear what you have said to us. Grant us to read what you've written to us. Grant us to believe. Not be afraid. Not be fearful and intimidated. As Paul asked for boldness, Lord, even while he was in chains. We pray for boldness. We're not in chains. But, Lord, maybe that makes us even uh, more foolish when we're too afraid to speak for you. Help us to speak the truth in the boldness of our faith, in the humility of our trusting in you, Lord Jesus, and speak us, speak to us from your word and speak through us to the world. And these things we pray knowing that we need to be strong in, your, in you, Lord, and in the power of your might, for in and of ourselves, just weakness. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.